0: We're not artists anymore, we're content creators, and part of that content is us, the brand.
1: Welcome to the Skiffing Fanny Show. Wouldn't you rather be a witch than a princess? Witches can transform things after all. (laughs) I'm Sean. I'm Brandon.
2: And today we're joined by someone pretty much everybody already knows for this interview about their new novella, Hybrid Heart, out from Neon Hemlock. And who might that person be? It might be none other than Iori Kisano. Hi, Iori, welcome. Hi,
0: friends.
2: So this is interesting because you, you've you never been on the other side of this. You've always been the anime and get Sean to watch things that I desperately need to watch person. This is very interesting.
0: Yes, yes. We are doing this with PvP enabled for the first time. This is a very new experience to me. But,
1: before we get into all of the wonderful questions we have about this wonderful book, a friendly reminder to everyone listening that we want to hear from you. So, please share your comments with us about this and past episodes at com slash listener suggestions. We have been having a lot of fun putting together listener mailbag episodes every once in a while, and we want to do... More of those things in the future. So please let us know your thoughts, questions, topic suggestions, and more uh, whenever you get the opportunity by just putting it in that cool little box on our website. Thank you so very much.
2: All right. So the first question of the day we we have to start with, which is we've read the book, but Iori, can you give us a, a quick rundown? What is hybrid heart?
0: So like what happens, right, is that an idol just has a really, really rough few weeks at work. And what it's actually about is the fact that like my simmering rage toward everyone who ever made me perform sexual and emotional availability for third parties for that person's social or economic benefit finally just boiled the fuck over.
2: <laughs> okay, perfect. So you, you've mentioned one of the big things that I, I wanted to ask about as somebody who only has a little bit of knowledge about sort of idol, idol culture and, and I know that I talked to Both of you before I mostly can't speak to Japan at all, but I was curious from from your perspective, if you could talk a little bit about like, what is idol culture for especially since most of our audience are are not in Japan, they may not have a full understanding of what is this?
0: So it's when you take a teenager and you put them in a fluffy costume and put them on stage to sing and dance. And whether they're good at that is not necessarily as important as whether or not you can convince the audience that they would like to fuck the teenager. And then you start doing things like selling photo books and handshake events where you get to meet the teenager for 20 seconds and fantasize about making them your partner. And in recent years, due to the pandemic curtailing handshake events. Now you can book them for like meetings on Zoom and do this according to a calendar that shows you what costume they're wearing that day so that you can see your favorite version of this person. And like, it's an extremely monetized, very prevalent version of the parasocial relationship. Pre-internet, this was the defining parasocial relationship available in Japan.
2: That sounds incredibly invasive.
0: Oh, it's it's worse than I'm making it sound. A lot of the management companies claim now that they don't have no relationship clauses anymore. But a lot of them used to have used to, quote unquote, still do. It's just not spelled out explicitly. Clauses where it's like, oh, yes, as long as you are under contract with our company, you cannot date. We will, they'll dump you if you, you get caught dating. There was actually a whole scandal a few years back when one of the AKB48 girls got caught dating and she cut her hair and made this huge, tearful apology video. They did let her stay in the group. But several of her predecessors who got caught dating did get dumped over that. A lot of the early morning Musume girls were also dumped out of their production company for dating because you have to be like as available to your fans as possible. Your fans are all your boyfriend or girlfriend. This also happens with boys. It is weirder and scarier a lot of the times what happens to girls. But let's not pretend that boys are not also subject to this. You will notice that I am talking about this in the gender binary because Japan is very, very aggressive about gender binaries and enforcing them. I've
1: been thinking a lot about idol culture even before, like when I heard that uh, Hybrid Heart was coming up, I was very excited to read it. And I, I think that it's very cutting about how weird Idol Cult is from the perspective of a character who is not only an idol, but at the beginning of the book is very concerned about maintaining that status while still being like critical of it. Even though Ray is also observing that. She is highly restricted in this space. There are uh, expectations about her creative expression, there are expectations about her body, there are expectations about literally her, like the time that is available to her. Like, I thought one of the weirdest and actually creepiest things about the book was that Ray mentions on a regular basis that she does not have. Uh, advance notice of most of the things in her schedule, except for performances, and that was the part that bothered me. Like,
0: that's a real you don't thing know How that much happens. free
1: time you have because you're under the beck and call. Oh, straight of up this.
0: assume none.
1: Yeah, which is like so. Like, I I want to hear more about why the novel thinks so deeply about that. Why why time and heart like spent so much time uh emphasizing that part of idol culture in particular.
0: I think with the growing surveillance culture, right, where you are always on camera somewhere and you're always on display and even like within your own house you are not exempt from surveillance. We are all gradually becoming idols, especially under the pressure of the internet, especially in recent years as there has been more push for creatives to be involved in their marketing like We're not artists anymore. We're content creators. And part of that content is us, the brand. Like my personality as a brand, which I am cultivating fans for. Not necessarily like fans of my work, but fans of Iori or the person people think is Iori. The Iori that people have made up in their heads to feel things about, essentially. So like, that's a huge stressful thing. A lot of Ray's anxieties are... The anxieties of living in a highly gendered culture writ large, because similar expectations around, you know, weight, body control, image management are placed on normal ass people in Japanese society. It's just on a much larger scale for Ray. And hmm, like, this isn't an explicitly queer book, but when I was talking to Julia Rios about it on their podcast. They said that, like, they felt like, in a way, some of my non-binariness had bled into this book, right, because of how Ray chafes under the expectations of this specific gendered performance. In a lot of ways, writing this has been part of a really long, ongoing process of unpicking the me that I am slash want to be from the person that other people want me to be for their benefit, like... I was literally raised and trained to be as hot and appealing as possible. And I hate that. And I'm going to be turning away from that for the rest of my life. I feel like I was probably a really healthy and well-adjusted child before people decided I had to be sexy. Which is not to say that I haven't sometimes benefited from people thinking I'm sexy. But those benefits came to me at the cost of being objectified and dehumanized. So I don't think they were remotely worth it. What happened to me as well is just like, a really small version of what happens to idols. Mm-hmm. I, I,
1: I think that's actually very intriguing because I uh, I think I similarly observed that Ray is very obviously engaging with femininity through what I read as a queer lens, not necessarily that it was overtly a non-binary narrative in the way that most other people consider a non-binary narrative to be, but that Because gendered expectations are part of the idol game.
0: Idols are drag culture. It's just being toxic instead of celebratory.
1: Yeah, and as a result, I I interpreted all of the physical trappings of uh, idol culture as a kind of representation of physicalizing, like externalizing femininity, and therefore raised experience as, I want to be as far away from this physical experience as much as possible. Which is, like, Rad that it can house both of those images, both of those ideas at once. So that was really cool. And one of the things that I actually re- latched on about the book uh, very heavily.
2: So one of the things that's come up in this that I think is interesting in this book and that I really found really interesting was like a lot of what we talked about has been the ways in which the book are very directly rooted in reality, talking about idol culture and its incredible invasiveness, which this book very clearly lays out for us. But it does sort of take all of that to an even more dystopian level with the way you use technology. You know, everything that's in this book, I, I think you would agree is just to, to some degree, very much present today, but it is like increasingly more invasive. Like, I think the one technology that I was thinking about when I was looking at the end of the book again was the shower head and how much information can be gleaned from a from a, an electric shower head. That can be funneled to managers and used to to monitor your every biological usage of, of the shower.
0: There's a reason I don't own any smart appliances. We're going to get to the point in a few years where I will be buying everything from secondhand shops to avoid having a refrigerator that can tweet.
2: Is that coming? At the refrigerator that it's you can ref- tweet? Yeah.
0: No! There are refrigerators you can tweet from. Why? Why do I
1: need that? If you can buy a refrigerator that can message your local grocery to let your local grocery know that you are out of eggs, it can tweet. And it can tweet of its own volition.
2: Yeah, but I, I think we're getting at like the, I, the the like way in which smart tech in general can be used for incredibly invasive purposes. And in this way is very personalized with the way that that technology is used, I, I think it's fair to say, to control Ray, to control everything that she does. Uh, And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about just dragging, like kind of taking that and dragging it to its even more extreme using technology.
0: I did not honestly do that much work having to extrapolate from what we currently have. That's kind of the worst thing, right? Like one of the reasons this is a near future cyberpunk story. I always say it's set two emperors from now, but an emperor is a really wobbly subjective measure of time, right? Two emperors from now could be, like, 80-plus years, or if things go real badly down at the palace, it could be five years, who knows? (laughs) The showerhead, the air conditioning unit, stuff like that, that's the five years out stuff. The bit where Twitter is directly installed in in Ray's brain, like, I hope I don't live to see it, but I think I probably will.
2: Yeah, I was thinking about that too, right? That image towards the end of the book of of the ads keep playing over and the, the warning notices playing in her vision. And I'm just like, this is, hor- this is horrifying. I do not want this.
0: Yeah, but that's also a comment about like recovery from an eating disorder because the thoughts that go with that are very much the same feeling as, yeah, just gonna always have these pop-ups that I can't turn off and I just have to X out of them every single time.
1: I think one of the reasons why, like, I read the book as kind of like, this is going to happen tomorrow, because I kind of saw a lot of that technology, the parts that aren't like literally already here, um, read to me as things that are essentially already here anyway. Because I really do think that, especially when it comes to social media, that's the kind of volume and easy access of technology that already exists for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, yeah. The number of people I know who just, like, straight up keep their phone next to their pillow while they're sleeping is in double digits.
1: I I had to condition myself to stop being one of those people. I actually hate it
0: now. It's just, like, a general mental
1: health thing. Because, like, especially especially if you work in the entertainment industry, being surrounded by what is essentially other people's opinions of you at light speed is dangerous. I
0: mean, you can argue that we do, Brandon. Yeah, we do. We do. Exactly.
1: It's just, there's a difference between I can put my phone down because I am depressed and my brain will not stop letting me be depressed. But that 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 line already is pretty fine. Uh, and I thought I was actually kind of... Uh, a very disturbing, but very revealing, that you decided that that was how technology operated in this world. That social media was a thing that you could not avoid, uh, even if you wanted to, because for a lot of people, that's just the case.
0: I mean, I do think that there is an argument that even now we can't avoid it, even if if we want to, or at least we have to go to really extreme measures to avoid it. Right? Like I have three different ad blockers on my a browser. And the extension for Facebook container to keep it from tracking me, even though I haven't logged in for like two years. <laughs> and then I've got like three more to keep from storing cookies. <laughs> and it's kind of bonkers how much extra work I have to do to keep corporations out of spaces that I'm in. And
1: I mean, like the the thing that I think that is telling about the that parallel in the book is those are things that you have to do. Uh, You can't just opt out of being monitored. You have to opt into the technologies that allow you to stop being monitored all the time by organizations that want very badly to observe your body very deeply. We we all should avoid assuming that our work is about to quote unquote predict the future. But I do think, based on how tech companies are attempting to use analytics at the moment, this is, if not a good portrayal of what it would look like in the future at its extreme. It's a good it's a good metaphor for how we actually have to remove ourselves from those situations at the extreme, especially when you are an entertainer, someone whose life is already being publicly observed on a regular basis outside of their control. And I have no more words than that was very poignant.
2: It raised interesting questions about like, the importance and value of autonomy in the entertainment space because Ray the like Ray's whole thing about using the avatar in the book or or they talk about it at various points too about other people where they don't really know who the singer is because they're using essentially a dancing avatar as 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 a way of presenting their music like there's there's suddenly like this massive notion of freedom of being able to say this digital representation is a thing that people can Google over, I suppose, or be interested in, but the person behind it is still somewhat or maybe significantly separated.
0: yeah, and those do differ because there are agencies that manage some of them, right? And if you are a VTuber or a V singer who belongs to an agency, you will still have some of the image restrictions and curation that idols do. But if you're an independent and there are a lot of really good independents making a living this way. You can shut things off and go about your life, and you are still anonymous enough to, like, go to Starbucks and not get bothered. You can ride the train. You can still have a life. And if you're independent, you have creative control that's not available to you as an, as an entertainer belonging to an agency.
1: I've been consuming a lot of VTuber news, and it's actually troubling. Even when no one knows who you are, you are still essentially being controlled to the exact same or a very materially similar extent as an IRL performer if you're in a VTuber agency in ways that can be very upsetting.
0: There's still the expectation of the squeaky clean image when you're on, but you have more opportunities to have a personal life and relationships and so forth. There's a lot more separation between the character you are in public and the person you actually are. I would say the benefit is being able to throw it away, actually. The disposable identity, I think, is something that has kind of been not eliminated entirely from the internet, but it's a lot harder to achieve that these days. Whereas I remember when I was in high school... You could be like 13 different people. You could keep those accounts totally separate from each other. You didn't need to go through cell phone verification to obtain the accounts in the first place. And if at any point you didn't want to be any of those people anymore for any reason, you could just abandon that and it wouldn't have any real effect on your ability to start over elsewhere in general, as we live in a more regulated world with more control on verifying ID and so forth, it becomes so much harder to drop what you're doing and start over elsewhere, clean slate, right? Which is kind of gross. I mean, God, 50 years ago, you could go into a fugue state, go to another country, start your life over. No one ever needs to know know who you were before. You can't do that anymore. Everybody fucking, You? What the fuck? I hate this! Mm -hmm. This is the stupidest thing. We're super fucked. We have no privacy anymore. I hate it.
1: I I very much do not look forward to an AI spamming me with GG on a regular basis at some point in the future.
2: So out of curiosity, what are some of the downsides to engaging in the idol industry through avatars, which is something Hyperheart begins to tease out?
0: The complaints I usually hear about people using the avatars right besides the fact that like there's a technology barrier so sometimes it can be a little hard to make everything work right if you're doing it it's that you lose a portion of the available fan base because they don't like the aesthetic right because like let's be real there's a lot of really really good vocaloid music which people fully just refuse on the basis of i don't like vocaloids i don't like autotune it's gross okay um yeah i understand that it can sound a little squeaky that doesn't mean that nabuna isn't a genius but okay and then there's also this this gross thing where a lot of fans are actually in it for the parasociality more than whatever you're actually making right and of course you're going to lose those people but who the fuck wants those people there i said it (laughs) fuck those guys
2: So, am I understanding this correctly, that a part of the idol industry is effectively a question of ownership over the idol by fans, and thus, the fandom don't fundamentally recognize the agency of the idol?
0: Like, a lot of fans are just straight up like, no, I've invested in this person. They are mine forever. And, like, there's a reason my DMs are closed.
1: (laughs) Some would argue that a sense of ownership is part of the format itself that it wouldn't exist without it.
0: There was this dry spell for me in publishing, right? I think from like 2017 to last year. And during that, I did get a few DMs from and people who had enjoyed a previous work of mine. And they were like, hey, when do you have another thing? I'm really disappointed I haven't seen anything new of yours lately. And at that point, I'm like, I'm closing my fucking DMs. You're not my friend and you have no say in what I do. And the thing is, we there is a culture
1: of that in publishing as well. And we've had conversations about it before. It's the thousands of people who comment on George R. R. Martin's uh, forums about how mad they are that they haven't gotten another Game of Thrones book.
0: Oh my god! I got an IRL argument with that with someone about that because he believed that writing a series means that there is a social contract between the reader and, and the author where the author is obligated to finish the thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And that it's not finished until the fans say it's finished.
0: Oh, see also, Arthur Conan and Doyle having to bring Sherlock Holmes back from the fucking dead because no one would give him a Holmes break. he fell off a
1: cliff. <laughs> and the first evidence of fandom was, no, he's not dead. You now have to make him undead. And then Doyle was like, I guess I need to never answer how a man survives falling off a cliff now. And the thing is, we have these examples of this happening to men and now imagine being femme or being a person of color and having that exact same experience. And the structure
0: of publishing means it's just going to keep happening more and more because of the expectation now that authors participate in our own marketing like 40 years ago. Tom Clancy didn't have to go on Oprah if he didn't want to, right? And Tom Clancy didn't need to have a Twitter account. There was a time
1: when we didn't care what
0: Tom Clancy looked like. Now yeah, we all have to be on Twitter, and we all have to go out and podcast about our books.
1: I mean, it's happening everywhere, to be sure. There is like this trend, and I don't want to say that it's the internet's fault, but it's being exacerbated because we're all on the internet of you have to be a brand, that people don't care about the things that you make until they care about you. But, like, I don't want people to care about me. Leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) There are 18 hours at least every day where I don't want to be perceived.
0: Exactly, yes. Increasingly, I think that the ideal way to be an artist is to be, like, the keeper of the cheetah enclosure in the zoo, where I just... Throw my work into the crowd like a frozen antelope into the cheetah cage, and then I book it the fuck out of there. Mm hmm. Do not involve me in this. I don't want to stick around to watch you eat.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about this recently because I'm not going to dwell on this documentary very heavily, but a documentary came out very recently about Johnny's and Associates where one of the passing acknowledgements that the host makes about the stars on johnny's is that you will see posters about individual boy bands or individual artists under their roster everywhere but it's always like the same six or seven photos there is not an abundance of media content about them a paparazzi photo of an individual a member of one of those boy bands is very rare
0: the reason you see less Johnnies in tabloids than you see female idols is usually because Johnny's has a better stranglehold over access to content in terms of, we aren't just blacklisting this one magazine. Like, we're not just blacklisting Friday because they ran a Perazzi po- photo. Every other magazine that this company that produces Friday puts out, they're blacklisted too. So because they can choke off not just one magazine, but entire media franchises without hurting their own sales, they are able to essentially, uh, I don't want to say blackmail, but you know, they have Mm -hmm. a lot of bargaining leverage.
2: So this is rather interesting because a lot of what your book suggests about this industry is that idols generally don't have that kind of power and that The average idol is probably barely surviving or living fairly modestly. Is that the case then?
0: Oh my God. People think idols make bank, but like a lot of them really, really don't. Like there's been scales in the past because AKB48 members have been open about how little money they have. There are idols who make less than the equivalent of 500 USD a month on their full-time idling. Sean just made a face, y'all. No, yeah, I believe it. Living here, I have had a lot of opportunity to wind up talking to former idols and family members of current idols just through chance encounters. And one of the things that really makes it a more precarious situation for idols is that a lot of them don't know what they're getting into, right? Because their kids, even if you read the goddamn contract, like, A of all, you're a kid and your parents are signing it for you. Second of B, you probably didn't understand half of it. And there's so much that you're not told or warned about, but that people expect you to know. And that then when something bad happens to you, like a producer demands sexual favors or something, if you go to anyone for help, they'll be like, why didn't you expect this? You knew what you were getting into. You picked this job. You did this to yourself. So... Part of the precarity comes from how everybody thinks you're asking for it and therefore isn't willing to help you, right? So you get in, and then you're not making any appreciable money, right? You're under constant control and surveillance, and no one's willing to help you get out. So you're trapped until you get dumped. (laughs) And then you'll be in an even worse position. It is just a big machine into which you poor teenagers, and watch them get ground up.
2: And in Hybrid Heart, Ray eventually comes to the conclusion that she needs to escape this, but can only sort of do so through an act of rebellion that will cost her
1: everything. Like many others, Ray deserved better as well.
0: I mean, like, everyone in this book deserved better. Even Kosaka, because, like, we don't get into it, right? Because we don't just have we don't get into it because we don't have the time for it. Yes. But he's also under pressure from his boss, who we never meet.
1: And we do actually see the consequences of that pressure.
0: Like, you know, I very much did think about, like, how I could do this with the murder ending, right? And I never nailed the murder ending because the murder ending inevitably involves Ray realizing that Kosaka isn't where it stops He's another person who is being exploited under th- in this, like, relentless and terrible system. And there is no way the murder ending doesn't go to the top with a pipe bomb, right? <laughs> and that mm-hmm. was a lot more work than I could handle at this moment.
1: <laughs> Just lurking in the, the ducts of the headquarters with one very large block of C4. I dig this book a lot. I want a lot of other people to read it. I have a lot of feelings I had these feelings about idol culture before I picked up the book and then I picked up the book and I had more feelings and I attribute all of those feelings to you telling a damn good story. I also really love this book and hope folks will read it.
2: Uh, So Iori, we got to wind down here. Uh, What are you working on next?
0: Ooh, hmm. You know what? Actually, wait, wait, wait. Let's unpack this, huh? Why there got to be a Next. Why are you out here with your grabby hands going, what's next? What's next? Was this not enough okay, for you?
1: Okay, You got me. <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I was going to ask the question in a different tact, which is, what are you interested in at the moment?
0: This is sort of like what the book is, is about, right? That pressure to keep, keep mm-hmm. producing for the fans. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Like, (laughs) how do we ask this question that is not about can you feed me more content and more about what are you interested in at this moment? What are you cooking?
0: After this, I'm going to get up and make some gyudon.
1: That actually sounds kind of rad. Now I'm hungry, Jesus, but still. And if folks want to find out more
2: about you and your work, where should they go?
0: Kusanoiuri.com. I'm on Twitter as at Yori Kusano. And let's see, my Instagram is iori underscore instagram. Not that I use those.
2: Excellent. So, folks, Hybrid Heart is available right now for you to purchase. You can get it from me on Hemlock.
1: Buy one for yourself and buy one for your friends. Pick a single friend that also knows as little about idol culture as Sean did and give them a copy of Hybrid Heart. Yes, do that.
2: Iori, thank you very much for coming on the show.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
2: So that's it for us, folks. Um, if you'd like to let us know again what you thought, please go to SkiffingFanty.com slash listener suggestions. We're on all the social media sites at skiffyfancy. and Fanty. Just go to our link tree slash and for that. You can get our newsletter at SkiffingFanty.com slash newsletter. And if you like what we do, there's patreon.com slash and and give us reviews on the I- iTunes and like wherever you go to give reviews uh, because that would be nice. Uh, me, I'm at Duke.net, Alphabet Streams on Twitch. I'm also at patreon.com slash thejoyfactory, and I'm also on all the socials, and my link tree is slash seanduke, and I do the histories at seanduke.net slash the histories.
1: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at The Rising Tides, on Twitch at The Rising Tides, very, very rarely, uh, my newsletter at BrandonO'Brien.xyz, and uh, on the Speculate podcast over at speculatesf.com, where one of the recent one-shots we just finished was a game of Boy Problems. Which was very fun, so you should definitely check that out. And on that note, awkward ending and scene.
2: If you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty or skiffyandfanty.com, our website, where you can get access to all of our fancy things. Our music comes from Holy Mole. You can support him and his work at patreon.com slash holy Thank you for listening.